Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. If you are using the Bibles there in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 743. We're taking a deviation from our study in Ephesians this morning in light of the emphasis of today on Mother's Day. And trust that we can be instructed from this passage. A number of years ago, our family was having a discussion around the kitchen table and uh, seeking to offer wisdom to one of our children when they were away from parental supervision. And my wife made the comment to them, said, don't do anything your dad wouldn't do. To which they replied, why not don't do anything mom wouldn't do? And my wife said, well, I wanted you to have some fun. <laughs> and then she turned to me and said, I've told the, our kids that children need mothers to make sure they reach adulthood and fathers so they have fun getting there. That gives you a little bit of a window into our, our home, but actually the, that complimentary aspect really became very clear to me one time. About 12 years ago, it was actually painfully clear to me because our son Christopher was planning to spend the summer on a mission team in Kenya. Uh, one month in Kenya, one month in Zambia, so two, two months in Africa. He was coming home from college for a month and then would be traveling overseas. And while we lived in Maine, we were only about two hours from the airport in Boston. And I thought, you know, I can probably get a better deal on flights out of Boston than having to fly him all the way down to Atlanta to meet up with the team and then fly from there. And so I started doing some checking and sure enough, I was finding much better deals. And my wife just said to me, you just make sure he, you get him there and back safely. So I, I deselected certain airlines. I, I took certain countries and layovers off and those really low price flights disappeared. But I was still finding a much better deal. And in talking with Christopher, we'd gone back and forth and it was right at the deadline where he had to give an answer, yes or no, was he flying with them or was I making the reservations? And I, I told him that night, I said, go ahead and cancel your reservation with them, I'll take care of it. And I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. These words just kept going through my mind. Make sure you get him there and back safely. And I realized, okay, he's flying to a country in Europe. He has a two-hour layover where he has to change airlines and terminals. And the, if he misses his connecting flight, there is not another flight that day. And finally, and I don't know what time it was, but as I, after staring at the ceiling, I got up and I called his cell phone. He was in bed. He was asleep. But I left a message, do not cancel that flight. I realized the amount of money I was saving wouldn't be worth it if I did not get him there safely. And it definitely wouldn't save me anything if I had to fly over there and start looking for him. And I, and I realized there really was that mother's concern and the aspect of that. You know, on this Mother's Day, we, we want to honor mothers and do that, I really want to consider the words of Jesus. I, I realize this is a difficult day for some. 
And for some, it's a day of sorrow. It's a day of regret, a day of loss, a day of disappointment, unfulfilled hopes or dreams. And, and I want us to understand that. I think we as a church family have to be sensitive and supporting. But we also have to realize we live in a culture that is anti-children. I mean, we've seen that demonstrated this week, the, the ferocious animosity that the right to abortion may be removed. And to see the uprising and, and understand there are people who are hurting. I have counseled people, ladies who have had abortions. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's grace is sufficient. And we have to understand that, but we also have to stand for righteousness. And so recognizing that this is a special, special day, but a difficult day. And my desire is that we would honor mothers, but more than that, honor the Lord. And I know that preaching to mothers can be discouraging because probably more than even fathers sometimes, they sense their inadequacies. There's that safety aspect where sometimes it's like, well, what's the best deal it's like for, for a father? And so I, you know, I thought of preaching to fathers instead, but I didn't want to be guilty all week in the study of that. So I decided I'd preach to children, since that includes all of us. But really looking at it from a very unique interaction that Jesus had with his mother. This passage in, in Luke chapter 2 has, has always stood out to me. And I want us to consider that when we faithfully follow the Lord, we will generate confidence in, in Christ-seeking parents and mothers in particular who desire to see God honored and glorified. And even if that isn't their desire, we can still honor the Lord. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter 2, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 1. John 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does, that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would comfort and challenge our hearts by the truth of your goodness and your care for us. Lord, work in our midst for your honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In this scene, this wedding, we, we see that, that God is, is being honored. You know, it's interesting, every wedding seems to have a story. This one certainly did. And it, it's not recorded in John's Gospel simply because there was a hosting faux pas. But rather because this is the first sign 
or miracle that Jesus did, and it was done in Cana of Galilee. It was also the first of seven signs that are recorded in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John during Jesus' public ministry. And, and John makes very clear why he records what he does. At the end of the book, in chapter 20, verse 30, it says, it tells us that he did this, says many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These are recorded with a very definite purpose. And that is the emphasis, and I don't want us to miss that. We're going to draw some practical applications and, that apply to this day, but this is a first, the first sign that it's a tremendous display of Christ's power. And it points to the larger reality of who He is. Back in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did and manifested or revealed His glory. So that's why it's recorded. But it's an interesting story. Then the, the, It's giving us some context. It's the third day after Philip and Nathaniel had been called to follow Jesus. We read that at the end of chapter 1, so when it begins in chapter 2 and on the third day, that's what it's referring to. Cana is only mentioned in John's Gospel. We find at the end of this, this Gospel, we find that this was the hometown of Nathaniel. This little village about eight or nine miles northwest of Nazareth, and, and now we find that Jesus' mother is there, and Jesus and his disciples are invited as, as guests. They're on the guest list. Probably not for prestige, but possibly some type of a family connection. Because Mary's question seems to imply that she was more than merely a guest. It, it would appear that she's helping with the catering services. And so when they run out of, of wine, she's concerned, and she comes to Jesus and explains her concern. And, and well... For us, this may simply be a, a, an embarrassment on a social level. In that day, it was much more significant. In fact, some commentators even state that there could have been possible litigation if there was not enough food or drink at a marriage ceremony. Now, I used to think that was unimaginable, but when you look at some of the frivolous lawsuits in our country today, it's like, I can believe it. But it would make you think twice about who's on your guest list. You know, how many lawyers do we have? or anybody who would be upset. But it was, was very serious. And whoever the guests were, Mary decides to approach Jesus with the situation. When they ran out of wine, it says in verse 3, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said, woman, what does that con your concern have to do with me? Now, that interaction raises a number of questions. You know, what was Mary expecting? Why did Jesus call his mother woman? What did he mean by that? What, what did his answer mean? My hour has not yet come. And, and what are the dynamics of this relationship? And I think that's important in understanding this interaction because there is a change taking place. Now, the term woman sounds harsher in our English language than it was here. That really was a Hebrew uh, idiom that was, was really showing some distance, but it was very respectful. 
In fact, the mother of Jesus is only mentioned here in chapter 2 and then at the cross, at the foot of the cross. And in both of those instances, Jesus refers to her as woman. And, and so it was not a, a coarse or harsh statement because at the cross he says, woman, behold your son as he's taking care of her. But, but it was an understanding that there's a changing relationship. And Mary may not have fully understood it, but it's, it's, it's showing that she's going to have to submit to his direction as he seeks to follow the Father. No longer is he her little boy or obligated to do what she would ask, but rather he's going to do the will of his Father. I do wonder if Mary in some way may have been hoping for some public revelation. That if he would do some sign, maybe it would vindicate her because for all of his life, she has had the stigma of his miraculous birth. That that wonder that maybe this will justify it. But she has to realize that matriarchal privilege cannot be used to defend household honor. He has a responsibility. And yet her response is fascinating. She says, whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he says to you, what a level of trust. She doesn't know what he's going to do, but she trusts him. And I think in that we can see how we can show honor both to Christ and to our mother. The first thing that we can see is that we we need to grow in consistency and godliness. That you show honor to Christ and your mother as you grow in consistency. There's there's another window into the childhood of Christ back in Luke chapter 2. And at the end of that passage, it says that, that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. The verse before it says that He went down with His parents to Nazareth and was subject or obedient to them. Children, obey your parents. Jesus obeyed His parents. And and so we need to develop personally under parental guidance. There's a responsibility here that you develop as as you are guided. And as godly parents, that ought to be our desire. And as a church family, that's what we seek to help with. It says, Jesus learned and grew as any child would, in wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. That, that they, there were things he had to be taught. Now the foolishness, the sinful aspect of childhood was not something they had to deal with or that, that Jesus dealt with, but he was a child. There are childish things that have to be addressed. I've wondered if Mary ever corrected Jesus wrongly. Now, I wonder if, if his brothers or sisters ever blamed him some, for something that he didn't do and he got in trouble. I mean, I'm sure that never happened in any of our homes. Why would that home be any different? And to realize they were real people in real situations. But as Mary and Joseph would teach, it says in Proverbs 1.8, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. The importance of of being guided and then maturing. It says that we need to understand that maturity follows a period of faithful interaction. That as parents, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him, he told him to stand firm in his faith. And then he said, remember, from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
that we're teaching our children the Bible so that it will make them wise for salvation. Now, I, I enjoyed watching the children receive their Awana Awards last Sunday evening. And, and it was a delight. And it wasn't, for me, the delight was not so much they got an award. It was what that award represented. The verses that they've memorized. The teaching that's been instilled. The, the realization that our, our Awana workers, our children's workers, our teachers are filling their mental hard drives with God's Word that the Spirit can bring back to mind. But we have to raise our children with faithful instruction that they would grow to maturity. The second thing, though, that we have to see is that we, we need to live with a spiritual commitment. It's interesting in this to see this emphasis as, as Jesus is, is saying, Women, what does your concern have to do with me? He had a spiritual focus. The, the command to honor our fathers and mothers, as we read in Ephesians this morning, that command is repeated both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it is alluded to many, many more times. This is an important command for all of us because honor is an attitude. It's, it, the idea of honor is giving appropriate weight to authority, to regard that authority properly. We must not disregard God-ordained authority lightly or frivolously or just discount it as viewing them as irrelevant. for, For our children, that means they need to speak to their parents with respect. That they understand that parents are, are entrusted by God to raise, to nurture, to direct, to disciple and discipline their children. I've taught in our parenting class that we need to teach our children not to talk to their parents in imperatives. Give me. Do this. They don't command. They may ask, but not command. And your child doesn't need you to be their best friend. They need, to be a God, they need you to be their godly parent. Oh, give us homes where Christ is Lord and Master. So this is not a requirement that can t- be taken lightly, but unfortunately, in our American culture, we dislike authority. We don't like being under authority or even in authority. We live in a culture that dishonors authority unless we deem them worthy of being honored. And that's unbiblical. God has ordained authority in the workplace, in the home, in the school. I mean, there's governmental authority. And and we have to understand that. And authorities fail. It says in Romans 13, give honor to whom honor is due. And the context is subject to governmental authority. It says in in 1 Peter 2, honor the king. And even as adults, we need to show honor. And I I think we have to be careful because when we disagree with authority, especially on a governmental level, we still have to have a heart of honor. We don't have to agree with their decisions. In fact, many times their decisions are unbiblical. They've overstepped their God-ordained bounds. But we have to be careful that we still have the right weight being given to that position you know the misuse and abuse of authority is wrong but anarchy is worse you know all human authority is delegated authority it comes from God there are limits because of that and when that authority oversteps its bounds it is out of bounds it is wrong and there are rightful times to disobey but God is not an anarchist Satan is And the end does not justify the means. God determines the means and the end and what is right and wrong because He is a moral lawgiver. 
But I realize when I talk about showing honor, sometimes that's difficult because people have grown up in homes where their parents have not been honorable. So what does honor mean? Well, it means showing the proper weight, but it does not mean certain things. It does not, honor does not mean pleasing or pretending that everything is fine. You can displease your parents and still honor the Lord. In fact, you can displease your parents and still honor your parents. If you think back, I gave you the verses in Luke chapter 2, verse 51 and 52, but if you think of the context there, it's when Jesus stayed in Jerusalem and his parents had left. And they didn't know he wasn't with them. They went three days journey and couldn't find him. They finally come back. They find him after three days. They find him in the temple teaching. And, and in that context, Mary is a little upset. She says this, Son, why have you done this to us? Why did you treat us this way? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I don't think Mary was very happy at that moment. I mean, if you've ever not been sure where one of your children is, and you know the anxiety of that, even if it's for a few moments, can you imagine three days? And especially when your son is Jesus, and an angel told you you were going to have him, and now you lost him? That can't be good. That's not going to end well. I don't think Mary felt honored at that moment. I think she was emotionally upset. But had Jesus dishonored her? No. Honor did not mean making her happy. Honor doesn't mean going along with everything a parent wants or seeking to make them happy and content when God has a different plan. But it does mean showing a proper respect. That even the disciples, when they were told, don't preach anymore, by the authorities, they said, well, should we obey you or God? They said, we have to obey God. But they brought it into the context. It doesn't mean acceptance or agreement. There are times that boundaries have to be set. And, and Romans 12, 18 says, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. But unfortunately, there are some home situations where that's very difficult but we still have to have an attitude of honor. And it certainly does not mean enabling illegal, immoral, or toxic behavior. I think one of the best biblical illustrations of that or examples of a son not supporting the wrong and toxic behavior of a parent is of Jonathan's response to his father Saul. If you read 1 Samuel 19 and 20, you read that Saul is lashing out at his son. He's calling him horrible names. He's belittling him, and, and the verbal attacks are awful. And it even reaches a point where he loses his temper and he throws a spear at him trying to kill his own son. That is not a good, healthy home situation. But Jonathan honored the Lord. He, he was a faithful friend to David, the man his father was seeking to kill. And he was willing to displease his father to honor God. It's possible to disobey without dishonor. But it takes wisdom and grace, and it takes the mercy of God. And so we have to, and if you came out of a difficult situation, it's important, let me encourage you to show grace and forgiveness to, to parents who fail, because we all do. It doesn't mean condoning or covering sin. It, it may mean honor, may be recognizing other God-ordained authorities and bringing them into the picture. Sometimes the honorable thing to do is to involve other God-ordained authorities to confront sin 
and that is right. But even having a relationship like that means we don't view it lightly. That we want an honor, we want an attitude that we are bringing honor to God. So we seek God's plan for our life. And that's what we see in this passage as well, as we're growing, that we're, we're seeking to have a spiritual commitment. Why does Jesus say, my hour has not yet come? What does he mean by that? Well, if you want to just turn over very quickly to John chapter 30, or John chapter 7, verse 30, you see this statement. He's been preaching and teaching. There's hostility rising against him and against his ministry. But it says in verse 30 of John 7, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. In the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 20, it says, These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. And then in chapter 12, as Jesus is anticipating the cross, he realizes it's getting close. In verse 27, it says this, John 12, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And then in John 17, verse 1, it says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. See, Jesus had an appointed purpose that He was aware of. He was living with the purpose that He was to glorify the Father. He had a certain hour, and this was not yet it. And so we, we understand that. Now, we may not have that understanding. We obviously wouldn't know like Jesus did. But we do know that God has a purpose for our lives. We do know that He's called us to bring glory to Him. And that that ought to be priority in our life, that we would seek God's plan. And that is the safest place to be. You know, I, I think we understand that in this world we are to be salt and light. Light that, that would contradict the darkness of this world. Salt that would hold back corruption. This is our responsibility as Christians. And to do that with our children. That we would help them see this. But I, I think it's important, rather than focusing on what our children are going to do, what job they're going to get, what kind of an income they may have, maybe we need to be cons more concerned about who they will be. That that would be our focus. Who are they? Are they people who love the Lord? And understanding that, because we realize there is no trouble-free living in a fallen world. And so if we're going to face trouble, the best place to be is in the center of God's will. That's where you're protected. They couldn't lay hands on Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't God's time. We are immortal until God is done with us. If we're faithful in following Him, we're protected. Third thing I think we can see, though, is we need to serve with compassion. You know, this is a miraculous situation. It states in verse 6 that there were these water pots that, that held 20 or 30 gallons each. And there's six pots. So you've got... 120 to 180 gallons of water when full and the water alone would weigh around 200 pounds not including the stone pot these are massive these are heavy and this was not water for drinking this was for purification maybe the the ceremonial cleansing maybe it was for washing feet whatever it was obviously they'd gone through this water because the pots are empty and and they've used the water but this isn't drinking water 
You know, some of you have been in situations in places where you, you don't want to drink the water. Well, that's not what this is for. And so now the servants have to fill them up, 150 gallons of water, and they fill them to the brim, and then Jesus says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. How would you like to have been that servant? Seriously? They've run out of wine, and I'm going to give them water we just pulled out of the well that's not drinkable? Yeah, that's not going to go well. Well, Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's like, okay, but Mary's not the one standing next to the master of the feast. And yet, they do it. And, and, and recognizing this, and again, I know there are many questions we don't have the time this morning to delve into, but understand the, the purpose then of, of what they were using this wine for was purification and protection against the contamination of the day. But here is this miracle, and the, the master of the feast and others have no idea what's happened, but the servants do. And what I find interesting is that the Lord is serving in the very mundane experiences of life. And it wasn't a major show. Very few people knew what was happening. It didn't grab attention. Jesus didn't wave his hand over these water pots or the jugs. or It doesn't even appear that he touched them. He simply said, fill them, draw it and take it to the master of the feast. And his glory was seen by those who were closest to it. In the practical, everyday life situations, how often does God work in our life situations in the mundane? Oh, we like the excitement and we love the testimonies of that, but God works each day. And He's using this wedding to glorify God and then strengthen the faith of His disciples. We see this. You, you demonstrate practical service in common life situations. He took something common and, and made it a blessing and delight, and it was a bountiful blessing. I mean, if you, if you figure 150 gallons at 8-ounce servings, you've got 2,400 glasses. They're going to be set for a while. So what can we learn from this passage? I think, first of all, be willing to trust the Lord even when you don't understand. Mary's comment, whatever he says to you, do it. She didn't know what was going to happen. But she trusted him. You can trust Jesus Christ. I think most of us as parents may not put that kind of a blanket statement on our children. But we can put that on Christ. It didn't, didn't make sense to the servants, but Jesus was working. You may be here today and Jesus is saying, Come unto me, you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He may be telling you, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Are you willing to come? Because Jesus said, he that comes to me, I will in no means cast out. That's in chapter 6, verse 37. For those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We can trust him too. His way is best. It, it may be hard. There may be difficulties. We live in a fallen world, but he is gracious. I would say, secondly, we need to respond to the truth that has been revealed to us. It says in verse 11, his disciples believed in him. But what about the servants? What about the others that were there? They're, they're the ones who drew the water. They saw what happened. We, we don't know, but we don't read that any of them responded. 
You know, were they content that the beverage cart was restocked? Did that suffice? Were they, were they happy with the gifts, but they ignored the giver? How often do we do that? We pray, God answers prayer, and we're good, we're on our way, and we forget all about what he actually did. Now, how do we respond to the life-giving word? Love the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. That is great doctrine for our kids. That is great doctrine for me. We can trust God's word. Blessed are those who hear the word and believe. Have you responded to the life-giving word? And then the third thing is anticipate Christ's reward for faithful service. Do we live with the goal of pleasing God? Is that your desire that we would strive to live? We, We may not know our hour like Jesus did, but we can take the next spiritual step to be faithful, to live for His glory, to serve. And when you faithfully follow the Lord, you will generate confidence in parents who also desire that we would serve the Lord. And even if that isn't their desire, we can still honor them because we are honoring God. And parents are given by God. And so we can honor the Lord through obeying Him. Oh, that that would be our desire this morning. Let's pray together.